0: There's no sense in like struggling my entire life, you know, to, to build something and then just go bankrupt because I haven't been charging enough the whole time.
1: Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. That was the voice of Justin Nelson, owner of Fernway Woodworking, and he's my guest on today's episode. I'm excited for you to hear us talk about woodworking, business, and fighting forest fires? Yeah. It's going to be an exciting episode. Justin started his furniture business in 2017. Known for his meticulously crafted, solid wood, American-made furniture, Justin has developed a strong name for himself in the industry. I was excited to talk with him because right now, he's at a real turning point in his career. He recently took on his second full-time employee. His shop is turning out the most work it ever has. And even though his furniture collection has been incredibly successful for years, He finally feels he's rounding the corner from just hustling daily to being a sustainable business. We talk about how he started out pricing his furniture, his thoughts on working with showrooms, wholesalers, and designers, how he took the plunge into hiring his first employee, and his advice for people just starting out in the industry. Although he loves it now, Justin didn't always have a plan to become a furniture maker. In fact, he started out in a very different career path altogether.
0: So about six years ago, um, seven years ago, I was on the Primeville Hotshot crew fighting wildfire. And my background before that, I had a a degree, a um, business management degree from Purdue. And then I was in the Marine Corps for four years. And then I was doing the wildfire thing. And so I, I just had no background in furniture or anything um, in the off season of fighting wildfire, I just really, I had decided that was gonna be my only year doing it. I loved the job. It was, it was probably my favorite job I've ever had, um, possibly with the exception of my current one. <laughs> but it was just too hard with family. Um, I was gone all summer and my wife and I had both been in the military. So we were separated while we were in the military because we were stationed apart. Um, And so it was like we were finally together and then I went off and fought wildfire. So I needed to just find a new career that would be closer to home. So we had just bought a house and I had been doing some work on the house in the off season um, during the winter. And we had a shop and so it was my opportunity. My wife was working full time. It was before we had kids. It was kind of my opportunity to try to make something go as far as a small business. Um, I thought the idea of, you know, small business from home was pretty cool. My brother-in-law and his wife had, um, a print making business at the time. Um, and now he's, he's a big YouTube woodworker. He's had great success, but I had always looked at them like when I was in government jobs and just thought like, man, the independence of that is so cool. And so I had kind of an opportunity of a few months, you know, to try to make something start to go not furniture at the beginning. And we were just doing really small like planters and home decor and stuff like that to kind of get my feet wet. And then I did, I took on a little custom furniture, um, just out of necessity and ended up really liking it.
1: I, I love it. I, I think in the background, we can actually hear somebody working in your shop right now. Sorry, I
0: was just hoping that wasn't coming through.
1: Are you kidding me? That is that is perfect. That is exactly what we need. You are talking about running a furniture business while you are actually running a furniture business. You are putting in the work while you're talking about putting in the work. I, I love it. It's great. Your sound quality is breaking up a tiny bit, but I think it's okay.
0: So I think our internet... Our internet should cooperate, but we'll see.
1: It's all right, I wouldn't worry about it. And really what you're saying is more important than how we're hearing you say it. So we'll listen to the words you're saying and not how they sound. Let's just jump right into how you started your furniture business. Now, a lot of people start out with custom stuff. You did a little bit of that, and then you became laser focused on your own furniture collection. Let's talk about the first days of your company and how it grew.
0: We did do a little bit of custom work to start out with. And that was kind of what got my feet wet um and it was exactly what you said um some built-ins i did like a built-in couch um for a houseboat down in sausalito california through an interior designer that i met on instagram um some solid wood built-ins and um honestly in that process like it was just a steep learning curve like i didn't know what i was doing um and so I, I took on those jobs out of like monetary necessity. But then I was like, this is actually really fun building bigger stuff because I had been making my living doing planters and bud bases. And so I was like, you know, furniture is fun, but the style, I just wasn't really honestly, I feel like I wasn't very good at like built ins cabinetry, that sort of thing. And it didn't really pique my interest that much either. Um, and so that's kind of what I, I got a few of those. And then I was like, there are other, there's other furniture out there and I just started reading. And so I picked up the book by the Sam Malouf book, um, which is that on your shelf there? I can't see. It is. is. The soul of the tree there. Yeah, that's such a good book. Um, The Sam Malouf book, blew my mind because again like brand new to furniture brand new to any kind of design I was like I didn't know furniture could look like this and so in that process like I was still doing some custom stuff but it was very much immediate like I don't really enjoy the custom stuff but I want to carve out a little time to just see what would happen if I try to design my own stuff um so it wasn't as much by like vision or by planning that I did kind of the opposite thing of what a lot of people do. Like I kind of started with the furniture collection, um, but again, like I just kind of stumbled into that through just following my passion. Like, honestly, I didn't think it was going to work at all. It was more like, hey, I wonder if I could make a sling chair, that'd be fun. Um, and then once I realized pricing-wise what I would have to sell it for to make it profitable, I truly didn't think it was possible, but I was like, hey, it'd be fun to try.
1: Now, that leads me perfectly into my next question, which is pricing and how you go about that. Now, a lot of people start with their custom furniture and they feel out the market and then they jump into their collection of furniture after they've already developed pricing. What was your structure? How did you start out with your pricing?
0: Yeah, so pricing has been um, probably one of the steepest learning curves, um, but pricing has just been a huge challenge, especially as an industry outsider coming into this and trying to figure out, you know, how to price things. So. Um, I had an early mentor advise me on two things, one of them relating to pricing early on that really stuck with me and changed how I think about these things. So the first one was I was trying to, when I started the business, I wasn't sure if there was if there were people that would buy this stuff. And so I was trying to kind of please the masses with a few things, stuff that I wasn't passionate about. And this advisor was like, she just said, don't, don't do that. Like this is a creative business. If you're not actually passionate about it, people will know that and they won't wanna buy it. And also it just won't be worth running the business. Like it's hard enough running a small business. If you don't even enjoy the subject matter, then why are you doing it? like go get a real job? Um, And so that was really important for me to hear. And that really helped me as I was realizing I was much more passionate about this like furniture that I was starting to envision. Um, It just gave me kind of the boost to like, oh, I can go pursue that. And if it's profitable, I can do it. And if it's not, you know, it could be a hobby and I need to go get a real job or something. So that kind of ties into pricing, too. And the pricing aspect of that is the same thing. Like you have to have X amount of dollars to live and support a family and run overhead and pay payroll and all of that stuff and so if you're not bringing it in it is just not worth it to have a creative business like go do something else have a hobby um and so i've really gone into that with my pricing and i very much have had the attitude of i'm gonna charge what it takes and if it doesn't work out then that's fine the market has spoken and that's totally fine like i understand that like my prices are high um but there's no sense in like struggling my entire life, you know, to to build something and then just go bankrupt because I haven't been charging enough the whole time.
1: There is a big, big difference between building furniture and having a furniture company, between doing it as a passion project and actually doing it as a sustainable business that you can make money from. There are a lot of people who have been building furniture for a long time, and they're just not making the money that they think they should. And that's because their pricing is wrong.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think first off, people have to just decide what kind of how they're going to structure their business. I mean, if you're not working with showrooms, then um, then it's going to be really different if you're only going to do direct to consumer. I think. A lot of people are really into that model right now with the Internet, and I totally get it. Um, But at the same time, you're going to probably be spending more on advertising than you think with a line of furniture um, if you're not working with showrooms, wholesalers, getting your furniture out there. Um, But that's kind of a decision that you have to make. In my mind, you kind of have to make that decision early on. Like, don't be afraid to then shift pricing if you decide you do want to work with wholesalers um but that's that's a big chunk of money and to me it is worth it and so we have showrooms that we work with um and so we can survive theoretically it'd be it'd be pretty tight but we could survive theoretically if we're only selling showrooms um we do it i feel like a little differently than a lot of people and i'm not quite sure um why i don't see this more often but we try to do both so we sell through showrooms and wholesalers, but I also do a lot of marketing myself. And so we work directly with a lot of interior designers and then we just sell straight off our website too. So we have kind of those three things, um, like retail price off the website and then interior designers, architects, there's a industry standard trade discount, you know, that we work with. And then wholesalers obviously have to keep up their, um, all of their overhead, which is significant for brick and mortar stores. And I really only work with brick and mortar stores Um, in general, people who are willing to actually, you know, sell our furniture for us, that there's a huge value in that. And so they get a significant discount because they're doing all the work of the sales. Um, So kind of early on, I realized like, okay, we need to be able to survive on wholesale pricing. And so from that point, you know, I take raw materials, um, shop time, which will kind of depend on, you know, where you live in in the country, um, East Coast, West Coast, middle, country, urban, you know, rural, whatever, um, whatever your shop rate needs to be to for you to, you know, make a living and support um, employees, et cetera, um, plus raw materials. And then you have to add in some overhead marketing to that. You know, you just have to decide what percentages are right for you. And then you have to realize that your retail price has to stay the same across all of your platforms. And that's the biggest thing that I didn't initially understand coming into it. I had people that were wanting to wholesale and they were like, well, we can't sell it for like twice as much as you're selling it because obviously people will only buy from you. So you have to be really strict on your um, minimum advertised pricing, your map pricing um, to, to be able to, you know, just stay consistent across all of your different platforms, whether you're selling on your website, to interior designers, architects, trade folks, and then wholesalers. That's great to hear that
1: you've had so much success selling your furniture through the wholesale showroom way. Now I know you sell your furniture another way, that's with interior designers. And that is a whole different animal. Let's talk a little bit about how you sell through interior designers and how you like to work with them.
0: Yeah, so um, this was another thing that I just didn't realize was kind of a little bit of an industry standard. I mean, it varies a bit, but when I started, I was like, what's a trade discount when people were asking me for it. We just do a 15% trade discount um, and pretty much that covers, that helps interior designers, architects cover um, all of the time that they spend finding the perfect furniture for their clients. And it really does make sense. Like it's not this, um, you know, it's not an inane industry thing where it's like, oh, certain special people get perks. It's really because they're putting the work in to get your work out there. So I've seen industry standard i've seen anywhere from like 10 to 20 percent for a trade discount and we do 15 for interior designers architects and then i just vet them um i don't have any crazy like vetting program or anything but i you know usually they have an email address that's their website and so i i know that they're affiliated with that website i go on the website check out their social media make sure that they're like a real trade account um and that it's somebody that you know promotes our brand well, would promote our brand well.
1: That's a really nice situation that you put yourself in. You know, on one side, you have the wholesale and showrooms pushing your furniture to clients. On the other side, you have the interior designers and architects pushing your furniture to clients. Now, I know there's a third way that you do it too, and that's with self-promotion. That's you taking your own money and investing it back into the business. Over the years, what have you seen has had the biggest payoff for when you put your own money back into your business
0: yeah that's a great question and that's kind of always changing too because i'm trying new things um and i haven't really there are a few places that i've settled that are really helpful um like trade shows where i met you at the the architectural digest show or two years ago um or three years ago whenever that was um so the things that seem to be working pretty well for me overall are trade shows um the Architectural Digest show where we met was the, that was the biggest trade show. I've actually, that was the biggest trade show I've ever done because I was all set up to do ICFF and AD like on the same year, last year during coronavirus. So it, that all got canceled. So actually that's the biggest show I've done. And that one, even a year and a half later um, was kind of paying off. You know, just so people know like rough numbers, I think Traveling from the west coast to the east coast, so that's a little different for some folks, but going to one of those big design shows, traveling across the country, shipping, you know, hotels, food, lodging, all that stuff. Um, I was about 10 grand into that show, which is a lot of money. And I was barely, I mean, I was squeaking by, I had business credit card debt, which is not usually me, like I don't, I don't like to do that at all. Um, and so, but to make that happen, it was tight. And to me that ended up being worth it. It took a lot longer than I expected to pay off, but it has definitely paid off both with just contacts and then just continued exposure and sales. Like ultimately, um, you know, publicity isn't anything if it doesn't end up getting you sales. Um, so trade shows have definitely been a good place to sink money into for advertising. Um, this year I'm planning on doing, they've rebranded to the New York luxury design show. So I'm planning on doing that. And then I'm hoping to also do, ICFF is shortened and it's in the fall this year. So I'm hoping to do that one also. And I expect those to, um, end up paying for themselves in the long run. Um, I do some social advertising that hasn't, I'm still tweaking that honestly, I haven't really been impressed with the results from that. Um, you know, again, like. I'm not in like a woodworking influencer. I wouldn't say I'm not. That's not what I'm shooting for. I want to advertise to design professionals, and so it's um, it's a little hard to find them. So I do a little social advertising, Google advertising, you know, mostly just so that if people are searching for my brand, I'm the first one to pop up. Um, but not tons of that stuff, and it's it's been pretty hit or miss on how profitable it is. And then the other ones are just platforms. I mean, I'm on First Dibs. Um, and a lot of people ask me about first dibs, you know, cause everybody's looking for the place where they're going to sell tons of stuff. And for me, I just haven't found that. Like it is, it's a million, well, not a million. It's, you know, dozens of little onesie twosie sales from random connections. I wouldn't say there's any one place, maybe Instagram, um, just because of getting some exposure there. Um, but I wouldn't say there's any one place that like brings in a ton of sales. Um, You know, showrooms, wholesalers around the country. Um, First dibs is worth it, but not wildly so. Um, But I've been overall happy with them. You know, a few other online places like that, um, trade shows, and then a little bit of just like good old fashioned online advertising. So
1: you also advertise another way, and that is with your furniture catalogs. And these are physically printed catalogs, and if anyone's ever seen them, they know that a lot of time and effort has gone into them, and a lot of money probably has gone into them actually printing out a real catalog. How has printing out the catalog paid off for you in the long run?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it, because I I left it out of the last question. Um, We spend a lot of money on print costs. I try to do mailings, you know, just to stay on the top of mind for interior designers. I've got a whole list. I don't know what it's at now, 300, 350 um, trade folks who I try to stay in contact with to some extent. And that's not like personal emails to everybody, but um, you know, I'll import them into MailChimp and send postcards once a year. Um, When we're going to a new town to do a new trade show, I'll try to target, you know, I've got their address and everything and I'll Sink it down to like, you know, New Englanders or whatever. If I'm going to New York, be like, hey, come out, I'm going to be at this show and I'll do an actual like physical mailing for stuff like that. And so yeah, catalogs have been super expensive. Um, that stuff has seemed to really pay off. Um, thankfully, I'm doing all the design for it. In the process of learning this business, I have learned you know, a bit of Photoshop. I'm just starting on InDesign for some of our tear sheets and stuff. Um, and then Adobe Illustrator for a tiny bit of graphic design. So I've hired a few of those things out here and there, stuff that I can't do or don't know enough to do. But overall, I try to bring it back in house. Like I might hire out a specific job and then get a template from a professional graphic designer that I can then tweak as I need to. Um, so yeah, we, the catalogs, um, I designed them, but then we have a lot of money into print costs for all that stuff. And I think that with how tactile our furniture is, the reaction we usually get when people see it in person is, oh, it's so much more beautiful than the photos. Um, which is saying something, cause my buddy that I hire for the photos does a great job. <laughs> He's an amazing photographer. I am always in awe of his skills. Um, but that makes me so happy that people think it's like they haven't been misled by the marketing that I'm doing. You know, it's like, it's as beautiful and tactile in person. And so I think part of that is just, again, like following the passion of getting the marketing materials to be really high end and quality and just get people excited about the product. And so it's more about like, I enjoy doing that. And so I do it. And thankfully it pays off. I think in the end, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, you know, it it totally makes sense. And it's exactly what you've been saying since the beginning of this. You are following your own path. You are following where your passions lie. You know, you are not trying to jump on industry trends. And the industry is going very, very digital. And you are physically printing out books, putting stamps on them, putting them in the mail and sending them to people. That is very different than where the curve of this industry is going. But you know, maybe that's why it's working for you because furniture is a physical thing and people can't be in the same room, they can't touch your furniture, but they have this physical booklet, they have this physical catalog of your furniture and it's it's that feeling of physicality that maybe draws them to your furniture over other furniture companies.
0: Yeah, and people just appreciate things that are well done and it kind of just speaks to the brand and that's what I want to like I just want to be high quality across the board. Everything that I'm putting out there, I just try to, you know, I I try to get excited about it, and if I'm excited about it, then I'll put it out.
1: You know, high quality across the board is obviously something everyone is looking for, everyone is striving for, and you've done it really well for a number of years now, and that is very impressive and something to applaud. But when you bring other people into your shop, other people working for you, and it's out of your hands, that quality can sometimes suffer. How did you decide to make that jump from you building everything yourself and controlling it to having employees and putting it in other people's hands as well?
0: Yeah, another great question. Um, So what was it? About four years ago, um, I was kind of the point where I was busy enough. And again, this is we were making the sling chair at that point, but not very many of them. So this was still mostly working on planters, bud vases, the smaller stuff. I was starting to feel the need for another person in the shop, but I for sure couldn't afford it. And right around that time that I was starting to think that, I got a random email from a student in India who was studying design and interior design, like furniture design. She was getting her master's degree in furniture design. And then also she had a, I want to say a bachelor's in interior design. Sorry, Prachi, if I'm getting this wrong. Um, But she emailed me and I was like, well, that's random. She wanted an internship. And I was like, oh, there's no way. And then I started thinking like, oh, I've been feeling the need for help. I definitely can't afford it yet. But this is a great way to see what it's like to have another person in the shop. Like, Is this, is." You know, I don't want to hire an employee and then realize it's not going to work out and have to fire them. And so this was just a really good, you know, limited time opportunity to try to figure out can two people work in this shop and can I stay on top of enough work for two people. So Prachi and her mom came out and it was awesome. She's amazing. We still stay in contact on Instagram. Um, She's back in India doing awesome things in furniture and interior design. Um, but she and her mom came out and kind of vacationed in Bend for Bend, Oregon, for um three or four months and she interned with me over that summer. Um, and it was the it was kind of a taste of what having an employee would be. So then um later, I wanna say it was that year, it might have been the next. I have a friend named Zach who I know from church, and I was really just needing some help during the Christmas season. Again, we were doing the gift year items, and so that was kind of our busy season back then. So I was like, "Hey, would you have time to just do like 10 hours a week?" He was with me for 10 hours, and then we were able to bump it up to 20 or 25 hours, and then I finally brought him on full time, which we had both been wanting for so long. Um, it was actually last August, so less than a year ago. And and then since then, we've even gotten busier. And um, Sarah contacted me, and she was an acquaintance through woodworking circles in Bend, um, and she was just saying she wanted to get more into furniture. She worked at a cabinet shop, um, and I knew her a little bit, and so. I was like, well, hey, you know, again, like we, I could use some more part-time work if you can fit it in after your other job. So we did that for a few months and then she's been with us full time for a month. So it's been really random. I don't, wouldn't say I have a process for finding employees. It's really just been the right people have come along at the right times. Now, I know a lot of people probably listened to that and said,
1: yes, that's great that you found people like that. But that was an incredibly personalized situation and isn't the way everyone can hire people. And, true, it was a personalized situation, but the truth is, you brought up a lot of very good points. One is interns and apprentices. There are a lot of people looking to break into the industry, a lot of people looking for hands-on at a furniture company, either in furniture building or furniture design. If you have a company and you're trying to decide if hiring somebody else is right for you, why not go with an apprentice or an intern? that way they get the hands-on experience and you get to see if you really do need somebody and if you can support another person working in the shop the other thing you brought up was that it was random and yes it was random but a lot of hiring is random if you've ever hired somebody for your shop you know that a, a list doesn't magically appear and you know who on that list is good and who can work well with you and who's a hard worker Usually you hire somebody off of a recommendation or somebody, you know, or somebody who, you know, who they know. So random is not always a bad thing. I highly recommend going to people that, you know, and seeing who they would recommend randomly before you, uh, you look anywhere else. All right. We got, we got a little off topic there. I know we're talking about you and your business. So let's get back into that. Where do you want to take this company? do you like staying boutique and building furniture that way or do you want to scale do you want to get as big as possible
0: yeah i've thought a lot about that especially over the last year because we're finally in our bigger shop as of last summer um the covid summer and so we finally have had enough space but even then we're starting to feel tight already and so i'm just thinking you know, what, what does that look like? Because I see kind of two paths ahead of me and I'm, there's a fork at the road um, to be super dramatic about it. (laughs) And I feel like the one route I could take is try to get a big commercial space. Um, Locally, that's a little problematic because we're in Bend, Oregon. It's growing like crazy commercial spaces in high demand. And it's just hard to find and it's crazy expensive. But also if I go that route, then, you know, and we get to the point where we have like 20 employees, 10 times as many employees, you know, and we're in full production that way. I wouldn't really be in a creative role anymore. I would be very much like a managerial role, even if I had, you know, a floor manager that's, you know, managing most of the production. And at that point, I'm probably not woodworking very much either. I'm, you know, even this afternoon, after we get off the phone, I'm going to be doing a couple hours of bookkeeping and the boring stuff like that. And so that's kind of one route. And there are things that I really do like about that route. I love the idea of keeping all of our furniture production under my roof. Like that would just be super fun in some respects. But I think I would lose out on the design side a lot. And so the other route is start to outsource stuff. And that's kind of the way I'm leaning right now. Um, I've hit some bumps trying to find um, a bigger manufacturer in the United States to outsource one or two designs to. Um, but right now, and you know, this may change in a month or two, I don't know, but right now what I'm thinking my best road forward is outsource one or two of my older designs. Um, probably the, like the sling chair, especially because it takes so much time to shape it and shape every single one. And we're on, we've made about 60 of them at this point. Um, and so if I can outsource one or two of those to a bigger, responsible you know well-managed meticulous um manufacturer probably you know pennsylvania area they're known for that east coast somewhere um then i can get a little more time back to me to focus on new designs um you know put a little more effort into the marketing and i still will at the same time have most of our collections still under our roof and i'll still get to do woodworking too so that's kind of at this point what scaling looks like So um, you know, I see in the long run two, maybe three employees if I go that route, um, as opposed to more, probably no more than three employees. And right now I'm at two and then there's me. So, um, and then just kind of changing up and down the outsourcing.
1: Now you've joked around through this entire interview that things have happened by luck or by chance and that it's all random, but the truth is you've worked incredibly, incredibly hard to be where you are today. What's some advice that you would give to people who are looking to get to where you are, looking to take that journey that you've taken and have a successful furniture company?
0: Yeah, it's such a hard industry to make a living in. I mean, it really is. And so a lot of the things that have ended up working for us are because we tried a hundred other things that didn't work. And so I think my biggest advice would just be Be really open-minded. You don't really know what your business is gonna look like in five or 10 years, especially if you're just starting out. You have no idea. I would have never thought that this is what I would be doing when I started six years ago. And honestly, if I had looked forward at that point, like I've changed enough in my interests that I wouldn't even want to be doing this, I don't think, six years ago, but now I love it. And like, I can't imagine doing anything more fun. Um, So I would say just be really open-minded about what you're, about what route your business is going to end up taking. um, And then try a bunch of stuff and obviously work really hard. I feel like that's a given for small business. So yeah, biggest advice is be open-minded, try new things. um, And by that, I mean like you might need to try things that you don't think are going to be profitable and you're going to learn something from that. Try a new wholesaler that you may think, oh, I don't know if that's going to work out so well. But when you're starting out initially, especially... You just have to throw a really wide net and then you don't really know what's gonna come back and actually work, but something will.
1: Wise, wise words. Justin, thank you. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you for talking about the furniture industry. Thank you for talking about your business. Really appreciate your time and best of luck in the future.
0: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen to learn more about the show you can always visit us at building a and feel free to reach out anytime to say hey ask a question or suggest a guest for future episodes our email is hello at building a you can follow along with me on instagram at the build with ethan and i can't wait to bring you the next episode this show is produced and edited by me ethan aberson Hope you enjoyed
0: and thanks so much for listening.